0: Welcome to the Pitbox Podcast. I'm John Satori. Uh, Three races to go and season over. Thank you very much. I remember thinking a couple of years ago, last year, when we had the final race at Abu Dhabi and it was December, and I remember thinking, we're in December, it's the month of Christmas and we're still doing F1. I really hope in two weeks' time we see tinsel, Christmas trees, Santa hats, the whole lot in the garages in Abu Dhabi, because... It'll be the only opportunity we ever have to see that and the teams will ever have to do it. Really hope that happens. Anyway, before that, we've got, of course, two races in Bahrain. We're going to preview that in just a second. Of course, it's the Bahrain Grand Prix first up and also be chatting with James Underhay and all the topics, all the news stories from the last seven days or so. All that's coming up on the Pitbox Podcast. So looking at this weekend, it is the Bahrain Grand Prix, uh, 57 laps around the Sakia circuit. First of a triple header, uh, who would have thought that, what, eight months ago, we'd be having 17 races in the season. It's great to have had, to, to be able to get that many races in one of the few sports um, that travels the way uh, F1 does, that has been able to, to do what it does, um, you know there's lots of other I suppose countries that have got sports that are still happening and obviously a lot of them most of them still don't have crowds unless you're talking about Australia and New Zealand they've you know handled what um, what COVID threw at them probably better than than most and they had I think uh, there was a rugby league game a state of origin game there last week and they had 52,000 which I think is a record uh, crowd during COVID I don't think anybody else has done that but anyway let's hope that next year uh, with what they're saying at the moment with regards a vaccine turns out to be correct and that maybe by, uh, you know, spring or certainly 12 months' time. This is uh, um, uh, something we can look back on and say, wow, well, you know, thank God we've got through it. Anyway, let's uh, take a look at this weekend. Uh, of course, as I said, it's uh, one of uh, three Grand Prix consecutively. The second weekend is called the Secure Grand Prix. It's a different layout, isn't it? It's uh, just 11 corners. It's almost like a, a very square sort of uh, layout, isn't it? Much faster lap, lot shorter. Um, to put it in perspective, Monaco is 3.3 kilometres long. Sakia is 3.5. So very, what, 200 metres difference. And when you look at all the issues that Monaco brings up uh, with regards to traffic, you know 20 cars out there that's going to be interesting except they're going to be belting along aren't they i mean a, a lap under a minute is what they're expecting so that's going to be rather interesting and of course when it comes to the setup of the cars and i know we're getting i'm getting ahead of myself because we've got the Bahrain grand prix on the traditional grand prix circuit layout uh, this weekend before we get to that but the compromise between pace uh, uh, between pace and, and and grip and downforce is going to be interesting to see because there's sort of, on that secure layout, there's probably, what, three real good stopping, uh, uh, rather, um, you know, big braking moments. Uh, whether or not there's going to be three DRS zones, I don't know. I suppose they could. They can do one down the main. So I mean, yeah, you know, there could be four here, couldn't there? Because of the Grand Prix circuit, you've got the main straight, three down to four, 10 to 11, but then 13 down to the final corner. You could always put a DRS in there if you really wanted to. So I wonder whether or not they're going to do that when they go to the uh, the Sakia layout, um, the weekend after, but uh, it's the other thing is that I was going to bring up with regards to tyres, um, the middle range, so C two, three, and four being brought by Pirelli for this weekend, which is pretty much standard. Uh, so slightly softer than what we had last weekend, I, you know. But the thing is, that the weekend after they've gone, they've they've gone for the same. Spec. They've gone for the C two, three, and four again. I would have liked to have seen them gone softer to go to the uh three, four, and five. Don't forget that this weekend, a full race weekend, full racing rubber, very unlikely are we going to have that washed away by rain. So having the softer tire, I think, was probably the way to go. I can understand why Pirelli maybe don't want to take that risk because they don't have... I mean, they've got a certain amount of data on it, I suppose. Don't they? From probably three quarters of the circuit, they've got data. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was a production issue. Was Has that been covered in the press already, what, months ago, and I've forgotten it or I didn't read it? I didn't see it. I don't know. But I, I thought they should have really brought the softest compounds. I can understand for this weekend, yep, bring the, the middles. But, you know, uh, the softer compounds, three, four, and five, I thought, considering we're going to have a full weekend of racing, and by the time we get to the race on Sunday for the Secure Grand Prix, the short circuit, we're going to have five days of rubber on that track and a highly unlikely chance of rain to wash that away. So I just think they could have probably pushed the boat out. But then again, it's easy to criticise Pirelli. I I do feel sorry for them and I don't like to do it. I'm not really criticising them. I just thought that, you know, it, it would have been nice for them to do that. But the problem for them is that they have to err on the side of caution if anything happens. Um... They're the ones who uh, are in the firing line, aren't they? And, and, and they cop uh, enough criticism as it is uh, on social media and elsewhere uh, with regards to ties. It's a, a poison chalice, a fine line that they have to tread, so to speak. Uh, so I can understand why they've um, uh, they've gone for the middle range. But anyway, it just would have been nice. Uh Russell interesting saying that uh Sakia is going to be absolutely bonkers. I don't I say we we're getting ahead of ourselves. So maybe let's get back to uh what's going to happen this weekend. 3 DRS zones a main straight, 3 down to 4 and then turns 10 down to 11. And of course 11 is uh that long left-hander. It's a little bit like Turn 8 at Turkey. The drivers all love it. And it normally throws up a pretty good race. It certainly did last year. Hamilton of of course and Mercedes got a a 1-2 Charles Leclerc just missed out on his first ever uh, top step podium, he got third in the end. I think, you know, getting a your first ever race win driving for Ferrari at Monza yeah, it's probably worth the wait, even though it would have been nice for him to win. I'm sure he would have loved it. And he was certainly disappointed. You could hear it in the radio traffic uh, from last year if you've uh, replayed that. Max, Max Verstappen ended up fourth. Uh, good result for McLaren. Of course, it started off their 2019 campaign um, very well. Uh, Norris got sixth. It could have been better had uh, Carlos Sainz not had that clash with Max Verstappen early on. He came off worse for it. And I've since watched that replay. And I think last year, I was a bit critical of Max. But I sort of think, no, you know, he had a, a right to have his nose in there. And Carlos gave him space. He probably, Max probably went a little bit too long into the corner, but... You know, I I don't think it was a, as big a deal as probably what was made out of it at the time. And, and certainly I've changed my opinion on it. But it was just a shame because uh, signs in the end had to retire with a gearbox problem. Of course, back in those days, Pierre Gasly was driving for Red Bull. He got eighth uh, in his first ever race drive uh, with the Red Bull team. And we're going to get on to that topic uh, with James Underhay shortly. And Checo Perez ended up in 10th for Racing Point. They're probably going to be doing a lot better than that this weekend. And again, that's uh, another topic that we're going to be talking about reasonably soon. Because it is a really tight midfield. You know, First and second in the constructors uh, is a laydown. We know what's going on there. It's really what's happening uh, from third down to fifth, even sixth that tight battle between Racing Point McLaren, Renault and Ferrari that is uh, going to be rather tasty in the next three races as those four teams battle for third position. So on that topic, let's uh, bring James Underhay into this conversation and chat about this weekend. There's uh, quite a few things going on, and as always, a bit of news that happened um, during the week. Uh, James, amazing to think we're into the final three races of the year.
1: It is, John, isn't it? Amazing uh, indeed. Um and, you know, I think we've got quite an exciting few races ahead of us. Uh, this race for third place in the constructors is is really heating up now. And, uh, you know, these teams involved, um, obviously we've got Racing Point, McLaren, Renault and, dare I say it, Ferrari as well. Um, you know, it's, it's quite a fight about to happen, I think. Do you know what I think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is
0: that, like for mine, Racing Point have got the car to do it. McLaren mm. have got the team to do it. Specific circuits, and I think certainly this weekend and maybe even next weekend, Renault have got the pace to do it because of the low spec—sorry, uh, the low downforce spec they run the car in that works. And Ferrari need the luck to do it, I think, probably very much on the outside. But, you know, Racing Point have got to be the favourites. But what happened again, you know, in Turkey was that McLaren maximised the damage that could have been done, both of their drivers starting well outside the top 10. And yet, they were able to get good points out of it. Both racing points started within the top ten, and only one of them gets a good points haul. And that's sort of for mine where the experience of McLaren shows up racing point, even though they've pretty much got the
1: third quickest car. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's a it's a really good point, actually. It's uh, I think we 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 really expected racing point to come away with a solid haul of points last week, obviously, and the the situation with stroll and uh, challenges that he had during the race uh, obviously put, paid to that really um sergio boy, had, clearly had a great race and he did take some mega points home as well but you would have thought it would have been a more solid result for both cars uh, last week and as you say mclaren that kind of experience uh, really shone through they just got the job done we talked about lando last week and just how okay there wasn't really it wasn't a spectacular drive but it was just getting the job done and picking points up, obviously Carlos had a great race as well. So um, those two fighting moving into these next few rounds is going to be really good to watch, I think.
0: Well, that's it. I mean, and if you look at Stroll, Stroll's had a third and two fourths, but he's had five races where he hasn't scored points. Perez has had two fourths. Now, you've got to take into account also that those no those zero-point finishes from Stroll, that takes out the one that he didn't race. So you know that that's five races that he actually raced in, and he didn't score points. I and mean, the only
1: time Perez hasn't scored points is when he wasn't in the car. Yeah, absolutely strengthens his uh, the the chat around him going to Red Bull, doesn't it? It's uh, that points <laughs> machine, that points machine that we keep referring back to. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be fantastic to watch. The the Renault thing's quite interesting for me in the sense that you you can see that the pace is there in that car. Uh, and Danny Rick's obviously been demonstrating that. Ocon has been kind of pulling himself back into contention again. All of a sudden he's looking quite racy. Um so between the three constructors there, it could be really, really hot. Wouldn't rule out some some on real fantastic on track battles as well in the next few races between those three teams. And then obviously as I said, you know, Dare I say it? Ferrari, obviously having some sort of resurgence in in form. Um, yeah, I wouldn't personally read too much into it as much as I would like to as a Ferrari fan. I, I think it's uh, you know a lot of it down to uh, a bit of luck and certainly the conditions in Turkey. But there have been some some improvements to the car, especially around the rear end apparently. And Seb's a little bit happier with the car now, and it just shows you that small tweaks here or there, and suddenly they can be talked about amongst that. That, uh, that that group
0: of teams again. It was last year, obviously, that uh, Charles Leclerc, I was saying earlier, nearly got his uh, first ever race win. It was probably better that he saved it to Monza, to be honest, it would have been a much more special yeah, yeah. win. Um, but the, uh, they were pacey last year, but that was probably based around what they had with the engine. But either mm-hmm. way, um, you know, they, they're going to sort of, they have been showing a turnaround in form, but whether or not that's going to be enough to really challenge the likes of, um, seriously challenge racing point Renault and McLaren. The thing is that they seem to do pretty well, at least Charles does, in um, in qualifying. But then in the race, they, they tend to drop back a bit, or certainly Seb, Seb does. Um, although he had, a, obviously, a you know, great race weekend in, in Turkey. But um, yeah, they're going to need something to happen, I think, for Ferrari, to, to because the, the the points difference between them and getting up into that battle is still quite big
1: yeah i it, i think we can be fairly fairly honest about it i don't think they're going to be featuring in the uh in the race for third it's lovely to, to to at least consider them at the moment given their their most recent form but as i said i think a lot of it down was down to the conditions you know it was a real leveler and uh, it certainly brought out um you know a reminder of the abilities of people like seb obviously in those conditions we talked about the fact that he's it was a real sensory race, I think, for a lot of drivers. It was all in the hands and feel, and right. being able to find the grip where they needed it. Um, that's not going to be the case this weekend, you know. Um, this uh, is, you know, conditions are going to be entirely different. Um, although, ironically, I think they are forecasting a bit of rain over the weekend. But it's going to be a lot warmer, obviously, and the cars are going to be performing in uh, in, a, in a totally different uh, arena. So, lovely to think about them being part of the, the race for third. But uh, I think you know, really, Racing Point, McLaren, and Renault are, are going to be where you're focusing your attentions for that.
0: Um, and Perez, we mentioned it about him possibly moving to Red Bull. I mean Albon, uh, you know, again he's got now these final three races. There's a you know a hundred point difference between himself and Max. Um, Albon's had five races where he hasn't scored points, uh, and and interestingly enough. It's four zero points races for Max Verstappen, but he's still a hundred points ahead. Just shows you that when he gets the car home, he gets it home in a really good position. But it's a it's a tight one for him. He needs these three solid races to claim that seat. Will that be enough? Even and of course we then get back to the topic of Perez. Will he get the nod there? The, the other thing is that what I does he have a does Perez if it doesn't go if he doesn't get to Red Bull does he still have a future at Haas? You know, strange that Haas haven't announced their lineup. I have, uh, you know what uh, I mean? Yeah. I, I wonder whether or not it's because of that Perez situation. Like They think it's... Okay, I under, Mac, Mick Schumacher, I understand the attraction there. Fastest in F2. He's going to win the championship They're likely. Ferrari backing and obviously quick in the name. Mazepin, look, currently six, seven points off third. Sponsorship or, you know, his father buying a stake in the team, whatever. But two rookies is a risk. Although, if you're going to take a risk, next year's car is probably the one to do it with because Haas know it's not going to be great. But are they waiting to see what happens with Perez and say at the last minute do you want this
1: yeah it's an interesting one isn't it because uh, the mazapan situation brings money we've we've, hmm. we've mentioned that that's uh, that's a no-brainer to a certain extent and like you say there's very little risk in them going with two rookies for next year because they've got nothing to lose quite frankly it's not like they're championship fighting uh, or, or regular point scoring fighting so they could very very well go with the two uh, the two rookies but the Perez situation, I think that really hinges around what he wants to do. Um, I think you're right in the sense that it's quite strange that they've cleared the decks, hmm. i.e., uh, with uh, with Roman Grosjean and K. Mag being uh, you know ousted from the team uh, at the end of the season, and to make that bigger statement immediately, you know, consecutively, so to speak. Why haven't they come out and said something else? Are they now waiting for Perez? Yeah. To say, yeah, you know what, I'll come I'll come on board because if that Red Bull seat doesn't appear, um that that would seemingly be the place that he will end up if he wants to remain in F1 for a year or so until something rolls around where there is a bigger seat there. So um yeah, maybe they're just they're just kind of biding their time. But um Because I, 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 w-
0: I can see that happening. I can see Perez getting the seat if Red Bull don't want him. And then they I mean they should be taking Mick Schumacher, even though Mazapin, for all the reasons, more financial reasons that he brings um, but Mick Schumacher, I think, is a better driver, and long term, he's a better option. He's a more solid option. It's nothing against Nikita Mazepin. He's looking like he deserves a shot. If not this year, then uh, sorry, next year than the year after. Yeah. But at this point, you've got the option of having a a senior driver. Don't forget, you know, if they they sign up Perez, they you know they're going to be using him for neck for the for the 2022 car
1: how do you go into Correct. a 2022
0: season with two rookies and go, yeah, I
1: hope we've got this right? Well, yeah, m- maybe, but it, it still might be a pump worth taking. You know, they've tried the two senior guys. I mean, and when I say senior, I refer to Grosjean and K-Mac. Obviously they've been in the sport a little while. They've, you know, raced for a few teams. They've, they've been around and they know the, how the F1 circus works. It hasn't really worked for them. What have they brought to the team that suddenly shot them up the pack to the point where they're suddenly a, a consistent midfield you know, performance. Maybe they just need a complete uh, change of mindset there. And let's take the two rookies. Let's run with them. Let's encourage them. Let's back them and do what we can with them next year and see if we can create, you know, an opportunity for twenty-two where we've got one of them at least, you know, challenging for for regular points.
0: Um, but but the thing is that my point is that if you've then got two rookies trying to get a new car with you know new regulations kicking in to develop it it's isn't that a? I mean okay next year's car and so i'm going back on what i said actually earlier Mm. where it's like you know if you're going to take a risk maybe next year's the year to do it because they know they've got a crap car but Mm. the thing is that if you know if they're able to hook a perez in um they get a a more experienced guy who's going to help them out development wise with a 2022 car more than what two rookies are so I get the feeling there's something. If if Perez doesn't get the nod at Red Bull, that he'll be at Haas. And in some ways, I'd rather see him at Red Bull, but also I'd like to see whether or not I'm right.
1: Yeah, no, that, that, yeah, it's uh, it's always fun to uh, to see that your your predictions uh, come out. But um, I think like, obviously I, I, we've got to be we've got to be thinking at least Mick is going to be there, yeah. I'm surely, right? I'd, because I'd say Mick's, so. uh, yeah, Mick's going to win the title um in f2 because long, I that longer
0: term he's got more hasn't he you know he's got more pedigree you think mick schumacher he's got pedigree Mazepin has more come on the scene okay he's done well but would he be getting a race this quickly if it wasn't for the sponsorship
1: side of it for the deep pockets yeah probably, you know, you probably know what more. i mean so yeah, uh,
0: yeah I, I think schumacher's long term and mazapin is sort of okay if we don't Get what we want with Perez, then, and you know, we've got the backup which is in. Nikita and yeah. give him a shot. And and I'm yeah. not saying he, that Mazepin doesn't deserve that, but maybe he's getting that shot a little bit earlier than he otherwise would.
1: Yeah, another season I don't think would necessarily hurt him uh, no, in, no, in right. F2.
0: Yeah, correct. Um, so anyway, let's uh, move off that because you know, we could uh, continue to talk about that all day and all night. Um, the other interesting point that happened um during the week was Carlos Sainz. Now, Carlos is not one for saying too much controversial, but really interesting, wasn't it, that he said 90% of drivers on the grid wouldn't beat Hamilton in the same car. Fair enough. I agree with that. But that any driver on the grid would win if Hamilton wasn't on the grid. Now, I know I'm going to get controversial here, Mm -hmm. but isn't that sort of what Lando Norris was saying a couple of weeks ago and had to sort of retract his statement, i.e., you know, yeah, Hamilton should be winning everything in most races because he's in the best car. Uh,
1: it is. It is. Uh, <laughs> it's such a difficult one, isn't it? Because I think Carlos is. He, he's the way he's worded this is not quite as accusational. You know, does that make sense? It's, mm. it's kind of. He said it in a very polite, gentle manner. Uh, it hasn't come out quite as controversially, I don't think. I think Lando's comments were a little bit.
0: It was a bit, a heat of the dubbed. moment,
1: a bit a bit of yeah, heat of the moment more. as well. And that's what yeah. I didn't like about it.
0: I was like, oh, come on, it's heat of the moment. He's had a microphone shoved under his nose and, you know, there, yeah.
1: he was a bit upset, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, and I agree with that. I agree with that I don't have any issue with that whatsoever. Um, whether there'll be any perceived backlash, I don't know. But uh, it, it is an interesting point. It is an interesting point in the sense that, yeah, we we kind of touched on this recently, didn't we? In the sense that, uh, yeah, most I think most drivers would pick up wins. Hmm. Of course, they would in the Mercedes because you know unless there's something wrong with you, you you've got a car there that is so capable. Um, you know, you don't have to be Lewis Hamilton to win races in that car. But obviously, if he's your teammate, then obviously that changes everything because there's every chance that he's gonna he's gonna create another Valtteri out of you ultimately. Hmm. Um, but um, with regards to to Carlos's comment, you know, the, the point around the fact obviously if Lewis wasn't there, then most people, if not all, would probably win. Yeah, it is – you know, maybe there's a little bit of needle there. I don't know. But um, it's uh, – I hope he doesn't get any grief for it, put it that way, because I thought it was a fair point, to be honest with you.
0: No, that's right. And and I with the whole, you know, criticising Lewis or saying anything negative about Lewis, this is sort of what gets a little bit crazy for me, is that it's almost like there's no – no critic you can't be critical at all and it's Mm. like sorry i don't think anybody's beyond a little bit of questioning and okay would that happen would that not but there seems to be a different um you know uh, underlying reason why people get so defensive about him and it's like no no no, we're just talking about his race career you know what is is he is he the best is he the greatest of all time in that you know, that, that argument that, and that um, that continues to go on about whether or not he's the GOAT. Um, you know, it's, uh, but I just don't understand why he's beyond any sort of criticism. But anyway, yeah, um, you, yeah, know, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and I think what, as you said, it was a, what Carlos has said. He's probably summed it up diplomatically in the best possible way. Because yeah, there's no absolutely. doubt. I mean, Hamilton is a brilliant driver.
1: No one's going to take that away from him. He's a brilliant, brilliant driver. Yeah. um but well if you're to hear you've you've heard me lord him in the last week or so, and that yeah. that yeah that says it all really right yeah
0: that's right you know you're a you're a you know bleed red ferrari fan um and sebastian fan, so you know it's um uh, but yeah anyway it's it was interesting that he came out and said that, and uh, for mine there's not too much difference between that and what um Lando said or you know other people have said whether it be in the press or other drivers um but uh Anyway, it's actually now quickly talking about Mercedes. The other interesting thing, just while we're on the topic of Mercedes, and I want to get onto something else in a second, but um, that Max had a, a, a chat about the Toto comments about the rules were made to stop Mercedes' success. That's what Toto had come out, which I sort of think is a little bit disingenuous from Toto, un- unless what he said
1: sounds different uh, when he said yeah. it to the way it's written. But yeah. has, um, it been, has it been taken out of context? I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't see Toto being kind of that... Aggressor with things nah. like that, maybe he has. I, I haven't read the full quote, but
0: no, th- that's the thing, and, and I, I haven't, I haven't heard it. As I say, unless it was, you know, it sounds different the way it was. Um, we heard it, the, how it was mm-hmm. written, but it's not. It was never to to stop Mercedes. This is all about creating an equal playing field because when you get back to two thousand and fourteen, now for the first two years, and I certainly know with with what happened with McLaren Honda, that you know they had restrictions on what they could do to develop their engine to even, you know, start to compete for decent. <laughs> Res- uh, uh, you know uh, um uh, uh, to be able to even get to the finish line yeah and they weren't you know there was okay, you got to have this there's a token of that you can't do this and it was you know mercedes had done an excellent excellent job better than everybody else and they deserved to be up there but when you're 8 tenths of a second faster than everybody else that mm. makes a difference and the the, the 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 you know the uh level the playing field had to be leveled and it's not like we haven't had rule changes in the past
1: no it's um the rule changes have to happen, right? It's as simple as that. You can't just have I mean, how many, how many, this constant barrage of Mercedes, 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 because you know what? Even the Mercedes fans will eventually start to get bored of it. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I was fortunate enough, obviously, to kind of grow up watching this Schumacher era of dominance at Ferrari. And eventually, hmm. it, it's not fun to support that team sometimes because everyone is, oh, they've bloody won again. You know, it's another, yeah. You know. It's never great to be in that situation. So I think um, for the good of the sport, for the, uh, for the people watching at home, like me, uh, like you, like, you know, people like my my, my my good friends and family that obviously are just massive F1 fans, it's tough to watch it when it's just the same result over and over again. So the rule changes have to happen. Um, it's a, it would have been the same
0: if, you know, for Red Bull. They, they, you know, had, they had to change the regs, yeah. you know, get rid of the blown diffusers. Otherwise, Red Bull yeah, yeah. would have been winning all the time. It's the same thing. It's just that it's gone on longer. Somewhat
1: yeah, someone. Ultimately, someone's going to nail this next set of regulations, and there will be a standout performer of some description. They, I don't believe that they can truly level the playing field as much as they would like to, uh, without some real crazy artificial kind of input. But um, you know, th- this particular period of of dominance. You know, would you feel aggrieved if you worked at Mercedes and had worked so hard to create the monster cars that they have done? You probably would feel pretty aggrieved. So actually, if Toto if it was said the way that Toto has, you know, been quoted or as we've read it, um, you know I don't know if you could call it sort of sour grapes, it's more about the fact that actually, you know, we've worked bloody hard to achieve what we've achieved with these cars. And it is frustrating that you're now going to pull the, the the rug from under our feet um for, for the, you know, the the situation with um for, for max's comments obviously well you know max max is never too far away from you know a an, an opinion on something um and obviously his opinion in this is that actually no we need to, to we, we need to make the racing better but i think he knows probably in his heart of hearts it's to to mix the pack up again it's not actually Uh, necessarily to we've got the budget cap and all of those things it's not necessarily to do any of that i think it's more about making sure that racing is exciting formula one needs racing to be exciting and the longer there's a dominant singular force in formula one the less exciting it will be so um yeah Yeah.
0: and and budget caps have been on you know the table as far as a discussion point and, and and a potential for for quite a number of years you know when i first started Uh, messing around with f1 you know there was a t-car there was an engine for every session um, yeah you know and you look at how expensive the v10s were to run the the amount Mm -hmm. of money that was being spent every weekend was just phenomenal um so it had to come back at some point and 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 be looked at and reviewed and said okay yeah we need to have this level more level playing field at least from the the monetary perspective but you know of course the, the, the 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 um the thing that doesn't make sense with that is that you know the the team that has the most the biggest budget spends the most money at the moment is sitting six and that's Ferrari yeah you yeah, know yeah, which no, is amazing yeah. to think but then you know the the teams that are next on the list are sort of you know what Mercedes Red Bull Red Bull I think then Mercedes isn't it and then you get down to your McLarens et cetera. but um so having I, the biggest budget isn't always the key to
1: success no it's not but in gen in in general it will be right. oh you get, you it's know, going I, to put I, you up I, there. I think you yeah. know this is this is uh, more a mistake of um, yeah, Ferrari's situation is just absolutely obscene when you think about the money that they've got to spend. Um, you know, they're, they're having come so close over the last two or three years, obviously, to actually genuinely challenging the Mercedes and all of a sudden to be wailing in the situation that they are at the moment is is quite frankly ridiculous. But uh, no, you're right. It's... yeah. Um, it, 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 Their situation currently, I think, is more down to internal trouble and strife as opposed to uh, anything budget-related. They've had the money, that they've just not had the right people at the end of the day.
0: Now, now talking of um, the right people and and having them in the right place, Mattia Bonotto um, Mm. wasn't in Turkey, not
1: going to be in Bahrain this weekend either. No, I uh, found this quite interesting, actually, and it's it's quite funny, really. Obviously, conspiracy theorists uh, absolutely loving this one. (laughs) Uh, wasn't in Turkey, Ferrari had a great weekend, their biggest points haul of the season, uh, and now has uh, announced that he will not be in Bahrain this weekend, as you say. Um, and the quote I, uh, I, I found quite interesting, actually, was uh, he, him saying, my role is to be present in difficult times. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, you better you better be there then, because these are <laughs> difficult times. But um yeah, there's, there's a lot of work going on, I think, in Maranello at the moment. They are uh, like a wounded, you know, back-to-the-wall animal. And, um, you know, they, they, they want to get back to where they – not necessarily where they uh, expect to be, but where they feel they should be. Um, a bit of work on the diffuser been going on. Seb's a lot happier in the car, apparently, which is a shame because, obviously, we've only got a few races left, as you know. Um, so he's steering clear. You know, he was able to speak to the team uh, and the drivers from the pit wall, uh, from where he was, sorry, Maranello, on the pit wall uh, uh, at the race. So, um, you know, if it, if it means that he's not there meddling, maybe whatever's going on behind the scenes and the team are a little bit less stressed about not having him around, then maybe it's a good recipe. Who knows?
0: Yeah, we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, but yeah, as you say, if they're in difficult times at the moment, then he should be on the pit wall. Um, now we're just going to backtrack a second, um, because the one thing I've noticed in my and your notes is that we didn't mention when we were talking about Haas, K. Mag. Yes. Um, and the story that he may actually be heading to IndyCar. I, I can really see this happening, and I think I, he, love this. I think he'd I love be great. This Can you imagine him in America? He's going to have a whale of a time. Yeah, yeah, young you know, blonde what, Norwegian kid, bloke. Yeah, have, and with he's gonna have a whale of a time. Well, he, he's uh, he's
1: Danish, I think. Is he Danish? Oh, sorry, <laughs> Danish, Danish. Sorry, no, no. Yeah, he's a Danish. Look, sorry, the, yeah, yeah, he's a Dane. The, sorry, but the the, uh, the the point the point stands. Let's be honest. Uh, blonde, pretty handsome, bit fiery. Um, I mean, that's what I mean. Cool. On, on,
0: on the track, he's going to have a great time, but I think off the track, he's going to have a decent time as well, isn't he? he yeah, really I like, think you know. so. <laughs> yeah, I think you know,
1: after the pressures, and the, I think Formula One can be so stiff sometimes, can't it? Mm-hmm. It can be so formal, and um, you know, like we, we've talked about drivers not being able to speak their minds and stuff. That is not the case, uh, in IndyCar. Um, I think the great thing about IndyCar is that, um, there's there's this kind of a lot more leniency in terms of the racing. I think the uh, the, the organisers and the fans want to see a bit of contact. As like, let's let's be honest, obviously it's not like it's going to be a demolition derby, of course, because the cars yeah. are still delicate. But you can get away with that little bit more over there. Tougher moves tend to go uh, uh, unpunished, which is great. Um, Marcus Ericsson who obviously had that brief spell uh, in Formula 1 he's there at the moment and clearly from what I understand loving life and he's he suggested hasn't he that K-Mag would absolutely suit uh, IndyCar in his driving style. Um, and, you know, it, it's just less—it's just a bit less snotty than Formula One, I think. And um, it, it could be fantastic for him, a bit of a match made in heaven uh, for, for K-Mag if he can get over there and get a reasonable drive. The other thing about IndyCar as well is that you don't have to be starting on pole, second, third, fourth... To actually win a race within IndyCar, you know, you can still be starting um, you know, fourth or fifth row on occasion, hmm. and if your strategy's right, um, yeah, you can come through and you can win the race. So it's good to it's good to watch. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm totally all for that. I think it'd be a great move for him.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's um, it's a down mazair that he'll end up. Um, in one of the uh, one of the IndyCar teams, and he'll he'll do quite well. It I feel um, For sure. it'll it'll be good it'll be good to see. But uh, yeah, so this this weekend, uh, Bahrain, you've sort of got to think that it's going to be another Mercedes, if not one two. it. it certainly, it'll be Lewis. Uh, you don't think on the top step of the podium, but it's sort of what as we've said before uh, earlier. What's happening behind, and the question of whether or not someone like Alexander Albon. Is is going to be able to get the job done? It's going to be a tough three weeks for Albon because he's now really going to feel the pressure. Three weeks, you know, you've got to prove
1: yourself. Yeah, this is it. This is yeah. It it all boils down to this for him, doesn't it? And it can couldn't come under a more more difficult time really. This this kind of uh, triple header, I think it is now, isn't it? And um, you know, you know, behind the scenes, I'm sure they've had the conversation that you need to to be taking the ball by the horns. You need to be showing us that you are worthy of this seat. Uh, you know, you show us that, you're going to be in the seat next year. If you don't, you, you know where the door is. It's as simple as that. So I think it's going to be a tough few weeks for him. I, for one, I like him. I want him to succeed, and I'd really love for him to get a couple of good results in the next couple of races for sure. I think it would be um, a, a shame to see him kind of elbowed so soon. Um, but the thing is, that I, look- think he, I think he'd, he'd get another chance, though. No, I think he would. I, I, I think he would as well. I, 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 yeah, but, but but whereabouts at the moment though—that's the problem, isn't it? Where does he go from here? Is it because this this decision, which I have to say, I thought was going to be made a lot sooner. I I thought Albon was going to be, uh, you know, I thought he was going to be out by now. Personally, after what's been going on and, and and dropping it again in Turkey and the situation at Imola where he spun under his own steam, I thought Alex Albon was not going to be a rebel driver at this particular stage. Now. The decision, therefore, is going to be made fairly late in the day. Where does that leave him? Is he having conversations with other teams now? Is oh, he part of this merry-go-round? He nah. must be, I'm sure. I,
0: I think if, if he if he doesn't get the seat, he's out of F1 for a year, and he's got a, a year off to think about it. It's well, the thing is that it's sort of a, a double-edged sword for him. I think initially it was probably a good thing they didn't announce anybody, you know, that he uh, in his place. One because Red Bull didn't have many options, and the only one was mm-hmm. Perez. And I suppose Red Bull were looking at Perez, saying, "Well." You know, the only options he's got are options that he probably doesn't particularly want to wear a much better option for him so we can afford to keep Checo waiting until we see exactly what happens with Albon and then Checo can go please himself if Albon turns it around. But, of course, the downside for Albon is that if he doesn't pull it off in the next three races, there's no seats left in the room and the music's going to stop.
1: Yeah, correct and, correct, and that
0: means he's gonna he he'll have to have a year on the sidelines. So he'd have to either make his way back into Red Bull, which I doubt, because I think Gasly will eventually. Well, if Gasly doesn't go to Red Bull for mine, I think he'll head off to um he'll head off to Renault.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, you've mentioned that previously. So it would be a lovely kind of PR situation for Renault there with Gasly potentially going there. Um, and I think you know what if if Albon if Alex doesn't get the Red Bull seat and he has to sit uh, you know a year on the sidelines. I actually think it could potentially be the making of him because what he's going through at the moment, he's on, you know, the spin cycle of a wash up. He's all over the place. He's kind of the pressures on. He's jumping in the car. He knows he's got to obviously deliver every single weekend. He makes a mistake and he must be physically and mentally absolutely battering, you know, for him to deal with that at the moment. Um, to go away and actually kind of just decompress and just come down from the whole craziness of of what has been a really bizarre season for him, where you know he's had moments where he's impressed, but ultimately the pressure's been on and he's been on the back foot. Go away and spend a year away. It's like he'll come back almost like a you know a, a Mark II version of Alex Albon, much more aware and alert of what goes on in the paddock, the way things happen, the way things uh, you know come about. Um, and potentially a bit more hardened maybe come back just a little bit more hardened to to yeah. to what you know lies ahead i mean hes uh, and and maybe- he he's only 24.
0: You know, and, yeah, and, you know and, and you think about it, you know, the beginning of last year, he was sort of really thrown into that Red Bull seat very late. He wasn't thinking he was going to be doing that. He was off in another formula. They had to pull him out of that and, you know, to get him into F1. And he did really well last year, maybe less pressure this year. Senior Red Bull mm. team, a bit more pressure, but it's now sort of starting to sort of come home to roost. But I don't think a year off is going to do him that much damage. Um, Depending no. on you know what's what's around what's available in uh, in 2022, but it's the downside for him though, isn't it? If he doesn't pull this off, and th- and that just a- adds more pressure to young shoulders, knowing three races, and if I don't get this, actually, I ain't got no other choices. I'm not going back down to Red Bull 2.
1: No, you know, no, 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 <laughs> I'm absolutely. going out the door.
0: Well,
1: you know, it's uh, it, 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 the one thing that I get the feeling, or I get the sense, and my my view is very simple on this drivers like the one we mentioned earlier, Marcus Ericsson, you know, he was in Formula One, he had a chance, didn't really do that much, and now he's out racing IndyCar somewhere else and probably having an absolutely fantastic time. But the point being is, you never look at someone like Marcus Ericsson and think, you know what, he'll be back. He'll be back. He'll he'll get another chance. Surely he'll get another chance. It was just a really difficult time for him. With Alex Albon, I see an opportunity long-term for him. Maybe now it's just not the right time. Maybe the pressure, maybe everything has conspired against him to make this particular opportunity, which no one would have said no to, let's be honest. You mm. can see, uh, you know, the, the second, currently the second best team on the grid. Maybe it's just not the right time. Maybe he goes away. He, you know, he clears his mind. He becomes mentally stronger. He becomes physically stronger. He comes back and he's like, right, I know how to deal with this now. I know how to tackle this. Uh, you know the politics, the the pressure, all of that stuff. I can take it on this time, and if you get that drive, maybe he comes back a better driver for it. But and- you get the impression that he does have unfinished business if he doesn't get the seat for next year.
0: No, absolutely, and and you know you never know. By the end of twenty twenty two, Checo might have retired from Red Bull, and there's a seat for him there. For
1: sure. What, <laughs> what, what do you what do you um what are your views in terms of you know how this Mercedes situation pans out over the course of the next few races, John? Because a lot, I, me for one in, included in this, probably would expect, you know, Lewis maybe to take his foot off the gas, and Bottas will be like, no, I need to finish the season strongly to remind everyone that I'm still here, and i you know, I can mount a challenge next year. I'm not sure that will be the case, though. Now, having thought about it a bit more, because you know, Lewis has still got records to chase.
0: Yeah, I don't think Lewis is going to take his foot off the gas. I, I don't think Bottas is the same caliber driver as Nick Rosberg. I think Rosberg is slightly better. um, And I think mentally had to prove himself to be tougher, and he he was. And and we've talked about that as well as how, you know, he just seemed to, um, you know, 2016 was just too much of a drain on him. But I don't think Bottas quite has that. I mean, he's a lovely guy by the sounds of it. I think I have met him once when he was at Williams. um, And he's obviously very quick. But in that situation where you're pretty much racing against your teammate every race, and there's no other factors that really come into sort of helping you and, you know, taking the focus away or, you know, sorry, distracting um, the lead driver, i.e. Lewis Hamilton. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is it, they, they, when that occurs and you've got a guy like Lewis Hamilton who's, you know, an absolutely driver for the ages and, and certainly the current generation, it's mm. really difficult. So I can't see, I think, you know, I can't see Lewis letting the, the foot off the pedal because, well, he shouldn't either. No. You know he shouldn't. He shouldn't be doing that. And I don't think, from memory, that that's what he did in 2015 with uh, with Nico Rosberg. I I felt that Rosberg just, you know, got on a bit of a roll and and um, didn't let it stop. But um, I, Is, I don't see uh, Lewis not not. I think you know Lewis will win the last three races.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think you could be right. The uh, the way you put it with Bottas in terms of what he's got to deal with each weekend. You know, if you're in a midfield team, if you're in a Mercedes, uh, excuse me, a Racing Point. Uh, a McLaren uh, or, or a Renault, or even potentially Charles Leclerc in, in the Ferrari, because of the challenge that he's put in. His race drives have been fantastic, and he's qualifying. Um, yeah, you, know, you feel like you've got something. You've got an opportunity to to show the world what you're capable of every weekend. You can make some moves on some people. You can get in some battles. You can you can defend your place very well. But there's a, a few o- th-
0: there's a few other variables though as well that can help you out. Yeah, you know sure. what I mean. Exactly,
1: exactly that. The problem with Valtteri, I guess, is that the only person he's got to beat is one of the best drivers of all time. Yeah, <laughs> because he's expected to beat everyone behind him. Yeah. Well, of course you should be beating all the Red Bulls and the this and the that, Valtteri. Because look at the car you're driving, and yet he's just constantly being made to look silly because he's not being able to show exactly what he's capable of. So, but isn't it ironic
0: in, in any other situation? Someone said, all you've got to do is beat this one guy and you'll you win the championship.
1: <laughs> you'd, well, you'd leap at it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, if you go, you, right, yeah, all I've the got to do dancing. is beat
0: one guy and yeah. I'm going to win a championship. I'm in there, you know, I'm going to give this 110%. Sorry, mate, that's yeah. not enough. You need 210.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not happening, is it? Yeah, um, it's a pretty pretty, pretty grotty situation for him.
0: Yeah, it is. And he is. He, he's, it seems like a genuinely nice guy, and I'm sure mm. he is and, and everything we've seen from him points to that um or mate look it's going to be interesting this weekend final three races of course we'll uh, debrief after the weekend and take a look at what's going to happen at secure uh, which is going to be rather interesting 11 corners uh, laps under one minute and where will there be three drs zones um yeah it's going to be an interesting one to preview but thank you very much for your time uh, this week mate and uh, look forward to catching up next week
1: most enjoyable thanks john
0: and of course, you know, I feel for the personnel, team personnel, mechanics, engineers, all the support staff who are in the middle of another triple header at the start of another triple header, I should say. Uh, because when you think the season's over, a lot of people think, yeah, they get to go home and they spend a whole lot of time with family and friends and away they go. No, no, no. Don't worry. They're going to be back in the factory pretty quickly readying for next season. Uh, of course, uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. Let us know, subscribe, give us some stars, a review, even some uh, pointers if you feel we need it. And uh, we'll look forward to doing it again and reviewing what happens this weekend in Bahrain uh, next week. And, of course, previewing what is going to be a rather rapid, secure Grand Prix.